Hello, welcome to the Mental Podcast with James Schofield. I'm coming to you from the very cold uh, Springwood in my bed, sitting up in my bed tonight. Uh, so I wanted to do a quick podcast. Uh, I think it will be quick, I don't know. Uh, but I just wanted to give an update on what's been going on for me. So what's been happening for me is that uh, I spent from Anzac Day until today in uh, the mental health unit of uh, Nepean Hospital. So that was interesting. Uh, I've still got to go back on Friday to see my uh, uh, treating psychiatrist uh, who will hopefully formally discharge me on Friday. Uh, so yeah, I've been given extended leave until then, um, from, from today, Tuesday until, until Friday morning where I have to, uh, check back in with the doctors. So, uh, you know, uh, it was, it was good, uh, today. Um, I got to meet with a whole range of people, some via video link and some via, uh, face-to-face. So my parents came and, and we went into this big meeting room. Um, first off, uh, you know, the doctors chatted amongst themselves with, with, the, with social work and uh, the nurse unit manager, acting nurse unit manager, uh, and, you know, my, my case manager, who, who will be my case manager no longer, and her team leader, um, my potential new case manager, uh, the medical director, uh, uh, you know, lots of, lots of different doctors. I'm not sure what all of their different doctor roles were. But anyway, um, they were all there. And, you know, they chatted amongst themselves. Then a bit later got my parents in, chatted with my parents, and then got me in and, and asked what I wanted. And, and that was probably the, the best part of it, that, you know, they asked what I would like. So I was involved and, and I got to have a say. Uh, the doctor was recommending that perhaps uh, I, uh, you know, uh, perhaps I stay in hospital tonight. Um, and and he, was, he was just a bit concerned about uh, my sleep being a bit fragmented. And I understand that. Um, but I sort of said, well, it can be like that sometimes, you know. At other times, my sleep is really good, and and sometimes I even sleep too much. I told them, so you know it, it depends on my environment as well. Uh, I mean, I've just woken up from a kip on the on the lounge in front of the TV, waking up to Q and A, thinking, oh, it must be Thursday. Q and A is on, but no, of course it's it's still Tuesday. Uh, but it was a replay of last week's Q and A, which was the one with. Uh, with uh, um, uh, Courtney Act, Courtney Act, yeah, and uh, I don't know if it was Catherine McGregor, not sure, um, there was this woman on there, and I thought Catherine McGregor, because I thought that's that's not a woman, that's like, like Courtney Act, that's another man that's saying he's a woman, but uh, apologies up to her, I think, no, it was actually a woman. Um, so, 
I mean, let's not get into that. Oh, I, I do have some kind of maybe conservative views about uh, transsexuals. You know, I, I, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't discriminate. And I'm not trying to discriminate, but I do believe, um, as do some of my friends and family, that uh, the desire to change your gender is a bit of a mental illness. And, you know, I probably cop a lot of flack for saying that, but, um, you know, it's called body dysmorphia. And that doesn't mean it's wrong that it's a mental illness. This is what people don't get. I understand it's a mental illness and and understand that the treatment for that can be uh, gender reassignment surgery. And if that's the treatment people seek, I'm happy with that. I mean, I don't mind if you if you want to change your gender, but I do think it is a bit of a pathology. Anyway, I said let's not get into it, and now I've gone into it, so I'm a bit of an idiot. Um, so anyway, uh, I think it's... Uh, yeah, uh, I can't even remember where I was going with any of this now. I've, I've completely lost my train of thought, gone off on a tangent as I always do. That's a bit of a problem with these podcasts. You'll know by now if you've listened to my other recordings that I just like to go off on tangent after tangent after tangent after tangent. And it can get maybe a bit frustrating for you, the listener. So I am sorry. I do apologise. And my my last podcast, which I thought was going to be brief, went on for 39 minutes. So I don't know how we'll go tonight, but Hopefully not that long. I do want to get some more sleep. But yes, as I said, I've woken up from a, a kip on the couch. Um, <laughs> and yeah, wasn't expecting to do that. But as is often the case, you get a nice and warm and cosy under a blanket on the couch. And you wake up three hours later. <laughs> it's not really a kip, is it? It's a sleep. So it's, it's a good sleep. Already slept three hours. That's like a third of what I need to sleep. <laughs> uh, why am I laughing? I'm such a lamo. Uh, lamo, isn't there a comedian called Lamo? Yeah, he's funny. Um, oh, I missed. You know what I missed? Um, How to Stay Married, a TV show with Peter Hellier and Lisa McCune. I was looking forward to that too. I've completely slept through the whole thing. Ugh. So I must have been asleep for a while, probably since about eight o'clock to, to to now, almost three and a half hours. I'm gonna probably gonna maybe struggle to fall asleep again now. Oh well. Um. So yeah, that's part of the problem, isn't it? You know, don't fall asleep on the lounge, James. Bad plan. Uh. Yeah. So uh, maybe I think I think I was gonna talk a bit about my experiences in the mental health unit uh, of, of late, of uh, the past a week and week and a half. It's, it's probably been, it's been about 10 days, I think. And, you know, it, it's been challenging. Um, I've seen some pretty crazy things, some pretty crazy people, you know, and I mean that with respect, I don't, I don't mean they're 
Fruit Loops or anything like that, but, you know, there was a young man who got put in seclusion and I think then let out into into the uh, the ward um, after he, he'd settled down. Uh, yeah, so there, I was in the high dependency unit, so there are two sides to that, um, and one side has less beds, and that's for the more acute, more severely unwell patients who might be aggressive or who might need extra monitoring medically or psychologically, they go in the side with the less beds. So, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Um, But, you know, I think... uh, Just trying to keep an eye on the time here. I don't remember when I started... Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm not going to name names and tell you all the patient's details, but uh, this young man, you know, of 30 or so, he, uh, um, hmm, he was put, I think he was put in seclusion. So, you know, what happens is you play up and then they inject you with midazolam in your ass. I mean, that that might sound a bit, funny that they put it in your ass, but that's just um, because it's an intramuscular injection. And I know this from the nursing studies I've done, uh, although I'm not a nurse, I never finished my studies, unfortunately. Uh, I can tell you about that another time. Uh, you know, so anyway, they, they inject midazolam, it's intramuscular injection. Now, the biggest muscle they can find is, is your ass, your glutes. So that's why they put it in gas. It's not anything perverse or anything like that. It's not unusual. They also put other uh, non-mental health uh, medication injections in your ass. This is just the, the biggest muscle, easiest one. Boop, pop it in, done. So this guy got an injection in his ass. He went over into seclusion did his time in seclusion and got let out or broke out of seclusion, whatever. And he almost, well, he actually did, I'm told. He he forced open a door that was locked. Well, because it wasn't properly locked. It wasn't one that could be locked with a key. It was a, a swipe card door. And the nurses said, if you apply enough force to those those doors... And and this guy was fucking strong, I reckon. You can, you can, open the door. So, it sounds a bit insecure, uh, uh, un unsecure. I'm not sure what the phrase I mean is. Uh, it just doesn't seem secure, does it? You know that it's a mental health unit. If you apply enough force, the door will open. So, I guess most people wouldn't be able to apply that degree of force. So that's why they do consider it secure and it's a swipe card access. But yeah, uh, so for a while, um, while he was settling down in there, uh, there was a, a, um, a table and chairs placed in front of that door. So if he did force it open, it was then an extra level of security that he, he couldn't get through it. So, you know, there's some pretty aggro people in, in mental health units and this guy did get a bit aggro, and I mean, he was he, he was quick to temper. He was um had a short fuse, so uh, 
I think uh, that's um, that's part of the problem. He, he he just had such a short fuse, and he would fire up like you know. I think on my last day there, he was yelling at the nurse, saying like, "Yeah, I fucking see ya. I fucking see ya. You're fucking. You're fucking ignoring me. Uh, you've been looking at me five times and not opening the door, and it." Only about two minutes had passed and, and she was looking at him once and then she tried to say, just, just give me a minute. Uh, but he just escalated. And and then when she opened the door, he, he's like having a go at her again. And this was one of the really good nurses. Like, there are a lot of shit nurses and there are nurses who did ignore this bloke, but this was not one of them. She was excellent. And it was her second day there uh, and, you know, she was so good and, and, and she didn't like, she didn't call security on him. She, she spoke to him. She said, I wasn't ignoring you. And she said, you know, what, what do you want? Like, how can I help you? So, you know, that is a good nurse. Like a lot of nurses would just call security on this bloke and unnecessarily sometimes. And not on, not just on this bloke, like, uh, I had a friend in there, a Buddhist guy, very calm Buddhist guy recently converted to Buddhism a year ago. And uh, he um, had security called on him one night. And, and what was he doing? Um, the, the guy was kind and caring bloke. And um, he he realized, or I, I just sort of told him, showed him I didn't have a, a seat to uh, sit on at my desk in my room. So I wasn't able to write uh, as much as I would like at my desk. You know, I had to balance on a footstool, which doubled as a seat for me. And the 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 kind, caring guy he was, he went to fetch a chair and uh, push it towards my room. And that got him threatened with an injection of midazolam in his ass. That got him threatened with seclusion. I think that's not on, you know, this, this guy's just trying to help, and he obviously had sleep issues, you know, he seemed to sleep even less than me, well, like, I'd always, I'd go to sleep, and then I'd wake up at one thirty, and then I'd fall asleep until 3.30, and then get up and just potter about my room, have a shower at five o'clock, and, and then by six o'clock, tea and coffee were available, uh, this yeah, this guy seemed to be awake most of the night. Um, so he was threatened with the injection uh, and uh, seclusion on more than one occasion, I might add. But on this occasion, uh, it was it was not given uh, because you know he talked to to the Nepalese nurse. He was Nepalese guy. Um, yeah, you know, they, they they seem to have a bond or a connection and she said to the other nurses, like, he's saying he can, he can be calm and get through this without an injection. So from what he tells me, he, he was spared an injection and he later thanked that nurse. Uh, I, I still don't think this is acceptable. It shouldn't immediately escalate 
to intramuscular injections of midazolam and seclusion whenever someone is noisy during the night because that's not what seclusion is for. Um, it, it is for those aggressive patients. It's not for people who are like completely calm but just making a bit of noise. That's injecting someone because they're an inconvenience. And what often happens, because what happened to me when I got put in seclusion, which was on my first night, I was in the acute ward and then got taken to, to seclusion in the high dependency unit. You know, I was trying to talk to the nurses, asking questions, too many questions. They never answered my questions. They just told me to go to bed, James. Go to sleep. Why don't you get some sleep? Go to bed. Come on, go to bed. Go to bed. Go to bed. Go to bed. So that just made me mad. And then I did lose it. And, and then I did need an injection, according to them, and, and to be secluded. Um, what had I done? You know, I, like I had tried calmly to approach the nurses. I had tried to say to them, like, you just told me I should have been in the emergency department. So why aren't you taking me there? Oh, you're here now. We'll have to deal with it here. But I had tachycardia. You know, I had a heart rate of 139 and I had high blood pressure. I should have been in emergency and I needed a physical health assessment. I mean, the doctor did come, thankfully, and, and assess me, but it's just unfortunate I was put in the, the wrong ward. Well, I mean, <laughs> could have been the right ward, but I, I needed to go to ED initially instead of going to, to uh, mental health. Maybe the ambulance didn't take a full history. Maybe I didn't tell them. I'd had a car accident uh, uh, um, three days earlier where I'd totaled my car, totaled my car, and uh, that was that. Um, and, yeah, I was a bit battered and bruised from that. Still got bruises. I'm discovering new bruises in the shower every day. Uh, but, you know, I'm not really in pain anymore, um, which is good, because, you know, that, that happened on the 22nd of April, that car accident. Uh, yeah, so I got put in seclusion to shut me up. Um, they said, oh, you're not in jail. Just remember, you're not in jail, James. I said, fucking feels like jail. You know, fucking lock me up and throw away the key. Um, they didn't lock me up and throw away the key, obviously. Uh, but it felt like they would. And, and they initially left the seclusion room door open, but then said if I went out the door, they would lock me in. So, because I got up and wandered around in the night and then they fucking locked me in. Um, uh, I went to the shower in this room and you know what happened? I locked myself in the shower. Well, in, in the bathroom anyway. I went to the shower, had my shower, turned off the hot water... Standing there wet, freezing cold without a towel. 
And, you know, of course, I closed the door. I didn't realise it locked behind me and could only open from the outside. So that was embarrassing. And um, they asked me when, like, I was banging on the door, fucking let me out. I'm locked in the bathroom. Uh, (laughs) They didn't do it. I locked myself in, but I didn't realise that. Well, I mean, I I did realise I'd locked myself in, but I didn't realise when I closed the door until I went to try and open it 10 minutes later after my shower that it had locked behind me. And, you know, they came and said, why did you lock yourself in the bathroom? So I didn't know that it locks behind me and then I can't get out. Why would it do that? That just doesn't make sense that you would make it so that people can lock themselves in the bathroom. Stupid, isn't it? I think so. Uh, so that was my first night and I slept on a mattress on the floor in seclusion. I don't know if they injected me. I think they might have. They got me to roll over onto my side, so that would have been their opportunity to jab me in the ass with midazolam. Uh, And I had lorazepam and diazepam. I don't like lorazepam because it makes me numb and I can't talk when I've had it before. I didn't feel that this time because I was asleep uh, until it wore off. Anyway, you know, I'm home now, so that's good. Uh, yeah. It, it, fuck. I mean, to see so many things, like, you know, yeah, just like people being sedated to shut them up, not being sedated because they're aggressive or violent, just they're a bit noisy, like they're talking or uh, singing or pushing chairs to my bedroom in the night. Like, you know, I don't think that's right. Uh, It just gave me more of a firm resolve that, hey, I want to work in mental health one day because I want to change this. I want to make a difference. I don't want people being put in seclusion because they make too much noise. If they're not violent or aggressive, talk them down, de-escalate them. Don't just throw them in seclusion. It's wrong. And that was the knee-jerk reaction of so many staff. And when I asked if my, my friend was okay, that that was threatened with seclusion that, twice, um, the second time I asked if he was okay, if he had anything uh, no I just said is he okay and then the nurse goes what you're doing there is a therapy interfering behavior how would you like it if he interfered in your therapy in your care I thought I just said is he okay I'm concerned as a fellow patient as someone who's becoming this guy's friend is he okay? And you won't fucking answer. And instead say, that's a therapy interfering behaviour. Yeah, well, fuck off. <laughs> How would this nurse like it if that happened to a friend of his? Just wrong. Just wrong. I actually liked that nurse in the beginning. He made a lot of jokes. He had an American accent. He was from America. Um... But he turned out to be just one of the bad eggs among many bad eggs. 
And sadly, um, I do feel, I do believe that most of the nurses were bad. Well, at least half. You know, it was always a joy to have a good nurse. Uh, you know, no, to be fair, not a half of them are bad necessarily, but it feels that way because the bad outweighs the good. Like the actions of the bad often outweigh the actions of the good nurses. Uh, but there were a lot of good nurses. And, and I mean, there was actually only one nurse who... Oh, no, not only one, maybe two or three, but um, there were a few a, a few nurses who would sit with you for a few minutes each shift and, and ask you how you were feeling to get the objective information about your insight into your condition. Now, a lot of nurses didn't do that at all. And the nurses that did it, they said, well, that's wrong. They don't get your take on things because that's how you get the objective data, the objective information about about the patient's care. So, you know, a lot of nurses just sat behind the, the nurses' station most of the time. You know, they didn't have a lot of time for their patients. And, of course, uh, in mental health, because nurses need to document every uh, interaction with their patients, every relevant interaction, they do have a lot of documenting to do. But it's no excuse. Hmm. This is why I don't think I can go back into nursing, because... I don't want to do things the way most nurses do. And if you challenge them, especially as a student, they get uppity. They get uppity at you. You know, they, they say they're not doing anything wrong and it's kind of hard to say to them, oh, sorry, you're right, you're not doing anything wrong when you know they are. And this is what would happen if I had a placement, work placement in mental health. I would... I would want to say to them, I don't think what you're doing is right. And they'd probably say, you're a student, what would you know? And even when you graduate, or you're a new grad, what would you know? Um, because nurses are bitchy. That's the culture, I know it. I've, I've been in nursing, I've, I've worked as a paid AIN, assistant in nursing, I've I've uh, worked as a wardsman. I've done many many uh, work placements as a student nurse, and I know that's the culture. Nurses don't like to be told, like everyone. No one likes to be told that they're wrong, and and that doesn't make it okay. The fact that they feel uncomfortable about being told they're in the wrong, that doesn't make it okay to do the wrong thing by their patients, to put them in seclusion just to shut them up so they don't disturb anyone when they're not even violent or not even verbally aggressive, cooperative, uh, to, threaten, to threaten seclusion. 
No, not on. And it, it has to stop. And I don't know who's going to listen to this podcast. And I hope I haven't said anything to give away anyone's personal information. I have named the hospital, but I mean, that's my choice. That's my right. I can tell people I was in the pain hospital. I'm not telling them XYZ patient was in the pain hospital. I'm just telling them I was. It's my own experience and I'm speaking from that. Uh, yeah, so I do want to wrap up now. I should try to get some more sleep. I might have a coffee. Oh, no. Uh, see, I haven't had any caffeine for a week and a half. Uh, so I don't know about having uh, coffee because obviously that would uh, contain caffeine. We had all the decaf coffees and decaf teas at the... Uh, 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 what's him call it? What do you, what do you call it? Oh, mental health unit. <laughs> How could I forget? Um, yeah, anyway, um, I'll sort myself out. I've got some cold water infusions. Could have one of those. I've got some lemonade. I've got some juice. I've got some water. I will be right. I will be fine. So that brings us to the end of this episode of The Mental Podcast. I will maybe be back soon, maybe not. I never promise anything because I never know what I'm going to do. I don't have a regular uh, a time for this podcast. I know that's how a lot of uh, these things work, these podcasts. You know, you have a weekly episode at the same time every week. Unfortunately, the nature of the beast of... Um, my mental health and, and of this mental health podcast is uh, I don't really plan my recordings a lot of the time. I, I do it spur of the moment or I, I do it when I'm reviewing old podcasts and think, hey, I've got something new to add. So, yeah, it's not. It's probably not going to be a week from now there'll be another podcast. There, there might be a podcast sooner than that. It might be later than that or this could be the last one. I could die tomorrow. Is, is it still... Oh, sorry. It's Wednesday. I could die today. <laughs> so I started recording this podcast on Tuesday the 4th of May. May the 4th be with you. And uh, I finished recording it now on Wednesday the 5th of May. So best be um, settling myself and getting some more sleep. And good night to all my listeners out there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who listens... Apparently, the last podcast got 12 plays. At least two of them were me, but I don't know about the rest. Okay, so I'm going to have to keep pressing the home button. Oh, I cracked my phone today. Just fucking stupid. I was with my dad and got out of his car and just fucking had too many things in my hand and dropped it and the phone screen has cracked. But that's life. C'est la vie. Uh, Chela Vita. Okay, I've been rambling on for the past two minutes about ending this. Probably longer, actually. Uh, so let's end it. And um, I just have to go back in, so there will be a bit of uh, noise here while I access my phone. I'm putting in the password. I'm better not tell you what the password is. Not that you'll ever get my phone. Whoa, fuck, 31 minutes, 52 seconds. Okay, let's stop it here, guys. 
Um, thanks for listening if, if you did. It's a long thing. It's a commitment to listen to these podcasts of late 39 minutes and now over 32 minutes for this one. So the 39 for the last one. So I really hope you enjoyed this because I, I have enjoyed talking things through tonight and uh, I mean, it may even help me get some sleep because I've just got all those lingering thoughts out and yeah, we'll, we'll see how I go. The thing is, I'm not too worried if I don't get sleep at home because I've got stuff to do. This is why people might make noise when they wake up in mental health units. There's nothing to do, so they push chairs into other people's rooms and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, that, that man was a sweetheart, so he, he's a great... He's a Buddhist man. Used to be Hindu, converted a year ago to Buddhism. Great person. All right. Thanks. Let's end it under 33 minutes. Okay, bye.